story of Elijah. It's interesting that such a great, powerful and mighty prophet of God would be so incredibly human. And the more I reflected on that and read about him, I went back into my Bible and I looked at the other great men and women of faith throughout the Bible and I thought, isn't it interesting? They are all humans, just like me. As a matter of fact, I'm more like most of these people than I thought I was because I've allowed my gaze to move off the biblical picture of who these people are and what the Bible teaches about humanity and I've looked to the bar. And I see the bar every time I walk into a Kurong bookstore and I see the books and I get online and I go to certain preachers on YouTube and that and I see the bar there and I just look at it now and I cringe at it and I go, man, it's just so unrealistic. What sets me apart from the rest of the world is not the fact that my life's better than yours. It's the fact that now I do it with somebody that maybe right now you're not. I do it with somebody that has answers. I do it with somebody that has provision. I walk this journey with God in relationship with him. And that's really what sets me apart from the rest of the world is the presence of God in my life. Not always that my life is better. I know people who have a way better standard of life than me. I know people that do not know Jesus that have way more money. Big houses, cars. I know people who are, have better marriages. And I'm not saying we have a bad marriage. But I know people that don't know Jesus and I know them because they're family members of mine. And they would not profess to say Jesus is at the centre of their life. But I look at their marriage and go, you are, it's so fantastic. They're living it by biblical principles. They treat each other with respect. They do everything the way the Bible says, but they don't have Christ in their life. So some believers look like we've got it all together, some don't. Some people outside of the church look like they've got it all together and some don't. Some people kind of feel genuinely happy out there because they don't even have an inkling of their need for a saviour. They just, this is their scope for life. This is what they think life is all about. But I was reading the story of Elijah, and you can pick it up in First Kings, and let me give you a little bit of background. The Spirit of God comes upon Elijah and says to Elijah, I want you to pray. Ahab is a, the, the new king over Israel, and Ahab's not a good dude. You probably might not remember Ahab so much as you might remember his wife, a wonderful woman called Jezebel. And the Spirit of God comes upon Elijah and says, Elijah, I want you to pray for a famine. There's going to be a famine. And Elijah prays and the rain stops. And then the Bible says, you've got to go right back to 1 Kings 17. I think the whole journey begins. And then Elijah, the Bible says, then flees and runs off and goes into hiding. Why? Well, because the king of the nation is now in the middle of a drought because you prayed. And there's no rain because you prayed. Because your God spoke to you. This is your fault. And so he goes in hiding. And we don't know much about that period, but what we do know is three and a half years later, the Spirit of God comes to him again and says, I'm about to end the drought. So he goes back and he contacts Ahab, picks up his mobile. Ahab, where are you at? He says, I've got to meet with you. And so he confronts Ahab and he says, here's the deal. There are, I want you to get all the prophets of these false gods that you have and all these idols and stuff. that you. I want you to get all those priests of these false gods and I want you to bring them and meet me on Mount Carmel. And I'm going to come up to Mount Carmel and here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut the cows in half. We're going to lay them on an altar. I'm going to cover them with water. And you're going to pray to your gods and I'm going to pray to mine. And the God who answers by fire, he'll be the God that this nation needs to turn to and follow. And so we all know the story. We would have, would have heard it before. The prophets of Baal get there from the beginning of the morning right through to night time praying, chanting, screaming, cutting themselves, doing everything they can to try to invoke their gods while Elijah mocks them. So maybe, maybe your god's taking a nap. You know, maybe a little bit louder, you might wake him up. You know, 
Maybe he's relieving himself. He'll be out of the room in a second. And nothing happens. And at the end of the day, Elijah goes to the crowd, right, all of you come over here. And they all turn their attention to him. And he prays to God. And fire from heaven comes down. And the water, this, this, this altar that's soaked in water burns with the intensity of the fire that God sends down upon the earth. A whole nation, a whole nation of people come to faith one moment. That's the biggest revival in the history of the world right there. There's never been and probably never will be a move like God, a moment in time where God will do one thing and change an entire nation like that. We read it just as a story in a Bible. This actually happened. And the whole nation turned to God. And Elijah goes, grab those 450 prophets. And they take them away and they slaughter the prophets of Baal. Then they begin to destroy all the high places and the altars and all this stuff. How do you think you'd feel at the end of that? I'd be feeling pretty good. I'd be pretty confident that I've got God's ear. I'm his right-hand man and we're on the same team here. Three and a half years of hiding. At the end of three and a half years, he comes back and God answers that prayer. It would almost be like three and a half years of on the run, on the run. It's over. It's finished. It's over. Thank you, Jesus. God, you have done a miracle. Ahab goes back down the hill after Elijah goes, right, now let's go and pray. And I see a cloud and the rain comes. He says to Ahab, go home. Quick, go fast because it's going to pour. Ahab gets home. First thing Ahab does, he goes into the kitchen where his wife's there making somebody else make her coffee. Jezebel wouldn't make coffee. He says, you're not going to believe what happened today. Elijah did this. Jezebel makes this statement. She says, sends word to Elijah and she goes, let it, be, let it be even worse to me if I don't do to you what you did to those prophets by the end of the day. Naturally speaking, I'm a bit of a smart aleck at times, I'm reading that going, I wonder what I would have done if I was Elijah. <laughs> really? Come with me. I want to go and show you 450. Oh, sorry, they're probably 900 now. Body bits. I want to come up the top of the hill with you. I want to show you something. A little churned, burnt altar up there. Just want to show you. You were saying, Jezza? You're going to what to me? By what God? That one? Really? You want to think this through? You want a few more moments to recant? But he doesn't do that. He panics. He runs. Pick it up in 1 Kings 19, 3 and 4. It says this. It says, When he saw that, what Jezebel had said, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Left his servant there, But he himself on a day's journey into the wilderness had came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. How do you go from the height of seeing that kind of victory and that kind of a move of God and in the next breath he's running from a woman who made a threat He's sitting under a tree by himself and he's literally saying to God, it is enough. God, I want to check out. 
God, I can't do this anymore. God, this is just too much. It doesn't make sense, does it? In the natural. It doesn't make sense from a logical perspective that you could go to that place. But you know what? The people in the Bible are human beings just like us. They rode the emotional roller coasters that we ride. They were under pressure like we were. They had bills to pay. They had families to raise. You know, they had nations to lead, unlike us. <laughs> they had things to do and there were pressures all around them and pressures on them. And that's just the reality of life. And I read things like this and I go, you know what? I don't feel so unchristian now. To think that a guy like Elijah got to a point in his life where he genuinely sat down and said to God, I've actually reached my breaking point. I can't do this anymore. How many of us have ever got to that point where you've felt the same way before God and you've thought either, I'm just going to throw in the way I do things because the way I do things is God's way, but it's just not working. It's just too hard. It's too tiring. It's too stressful. It just doesn't seem to work. I'm not breaking through. I'm not overcoming. I'm not getting there. And so we want to throw the towel in. Maybe some of us have got to that point in life where we've literally physically gone, God, that is enough. I can't do it anymore. I literally can't do this anymore. I didn't think that my kids would turn out like this. That was not the plan. And all of a sudden I'm looking going, God, I can't deal with another thing. God, I can't deal with another negative report. I can't deal with another bill. God, I've got a fridge covered in them. I can't deal with another bit of rejection. God, I've been rejected so much in my life, I can't handle another rejection. And we get to that point where we, like Elijah, say, God, it's just enough. It's just enough. Anyone ever get there? I get there. I've been there. And I've got no doubt I'm going to go there again at some point. Because it's the cycle of life. It's what happens to us in the journey of life. We deal in a human world, but we have a divine helper. You know, he's not the only one that got to that point. Uh, If you go to Numbers chapter 11, verse 14 to 15, Moses prayed this. He said, I'm not able to bear all these people alone. Who who knows the children of Israel weren't perfect? They didn't do things right. Moses had his hands full, had a lot of things to deal with. Every time he'd walk away, somebody would be whinging and carrying on and and accusing him of dragging him out. All sorts of stuff went on with this guy. He was under a lot of pressure in his life. He said, I'm not able to bear these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. I mean, that's an emotional low, isn't it? To be able to say to God, if you're going to keep doing this, if this is what, then you need to take me because I just can't do it. Imagine being Job, losing everything like that. Almost sounds like a sick joke when you read this story. Almost sounds like a really sick joke. He lost everything. In Job 3.11, he says this, he says, Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? I mean, these are people that are going through a lot of stuff. These are people that are asking really serious questions. They're not sweeping them under the carpet. They're going, hey, this is how I feel. This is how I feel. This is what's going on in my world. And you know who these people are? They're super Christians. These guys are the super Christians. Not the ones who pretend not to have any problems. Not the ones who pretend not to have any hassles. Not the ones who walk around as if nothing affects them, nothing hurts them, nothing bothers them. Super Christians are honest. 
about who they are. They're humble about their own shortcomings and failings. They're humble about their place before God. They're real. They don't feel the need to put on this image. You know, I've got, I know some people call me cynical with this, but this is just the way I view life. I only know about you what you want me to know. That's all I know. I only know about celebrities on TV what they want me to know. I only know about the greatest preacher on planet Earth, what he wants me to know. So when they stumble and fall, it doesn't shape my world. Because I haven't put them up on pedestals like they're, they're humans. They're people. And I'll guarantee, if I see somebody who says to me, I've got no problems, no weaknesses, I never have issues or hassles, guess what? I'll run from them. I'll run from them. Because it's just not real. It's just not real. There's no scripture in the Bible where Jesus comes along and promises, come to me and you'll never have a hassle. Matter of fact, he says this, if they treat me this way, the master, boy, you better have a good think if you're going to follow me because if they do this to the master, what will they do to his disciples? If the enemy's coming after me, he'll come after you. If they criticise me, they'll criticise you. This is, this is the stuff Jesus talked about that perhaps we don't talk about enough. And it doesn't have to be a negative, discouraging thing. I find encouragement and I find comfort in that because that is me. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 to 10, Paul says this. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that, get this, we despaired even of life. We despaired even of life. You know, Paul, the great apostle, the great church planter, had hassles. Had moments in life where he was tempted to want to throw in the towel and just give up. It's just too hard. It's just too difficult. But I like what he says. He says, yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves, but here's why. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, and in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. The God who has delivered us, who is delivering us, and who will deliver us. He says we went through this for one reason. He says part of the eternal plan of God, when we go through those difficult moments, when we go through those despairing times, part of the plan of God is that in those moments we would make the right choice and the only choice, and that choice is to look to him, to turn to him, to turn our focus and our face back towards God, that we should not trust in ourselves but in God. You know why we get despaired? Because Whatever's going on at that time, all I'm looking at is my ability within that situation. And I know I can't. And I know I won't. And I know I'll fail. And I know I'll fall short. And I know I'll struggle. And I know I won't overcome. Because I get in these moments and I take my focus off God, I take it off the eternal reality that he is with me and that he will never leave me. The eternal reality that it doesn't matter what I'm going through right now, it's not enough to push him away. Paul says, we went through that and the good that came out of it was this. It helped us to refocus. It helped us to get our focus back on where it's supposed to be. And you know what? If you're here today and you go through those moments of despair, you go through those moments 
I want to tell you something. I, I just want to say this to you today. You're actually incredibly, incredibly normal. You are incredibly normal. Don't buy into the lie of the enemy that because you have faith in Jesus, you should be this perfect picture of an unblemished human being. Just like Pete was saying, we all have a ring of brown around us. You know, there's that old saying, it's just the depth. It's just a matter of how high that ring comes up on you. You can clean certain parts of it, certain parts of it you can't. Certain garments get to a point in my home where I look at it and go, I can't even wash that one anymore, it's gone. I'll just throw it out, it's beyond washing. That's not true. My wife will do that. I will hang on to my clothes till they fall apart with holes. And sometimes I just wear a sleeve like the, around the neck and there. But, but you're normal. You're completely normal. That's all I want to share this morning. We've, we've run out of time. I've got a few more things there. But I just want us to, to take heart in the fact that if you're going through some difficult stuff in your life right now, if you're going through challenges, man, the greatest men and women of God in the Bible had tough times. If God wanted us to think that that's the bar, he would have taken all that out of the Bible. We, would, we could have never known that Elijah wanted God to take his life. We could have never known that Moses prayed and said, God, if this is the way it's going to be, take my life. We could have never known the story of Job. We could have never known the fears, the, the disappointments, the frustrations of Paul the Apostle. We could have never known the hypocrisy of Peter when he refused to sit with the Gentiles. When the Jews showed up. There's all these things in there that normalise humanity. But not only do they normalise humanity, they normalise the Christian minister. But here's the good news. These guys despaired of life themselves. You know what? God still used them. And he can still use you. Some of us are waiting to get to a certain point. Some of us are waiting to dare to dream or to believe that God could do anything significant with our world whether it be in our workplace, in our families, uh, in our community, uh, in the church, whatever. We just, we fail to think because we've got this picture, this image of what God is looking for. You've got to be like this. And once you get there, then you can dare to dream and imagine and wonder and think, what could God do with a person like me? But God takes people who are way down here and he does miraculous, wonderful things. And as a church, if each of us sit back and just wait till we reach some spiritual bar before we avail ourselves to the Spirit of God and say, Lord, use me, speak through me. Love people through me. Bless the community through me. What can I do to to be a blessing, to be light and to be salt in my community? If I'm waiting to get to this place, guess what? You won't get there. You won't get there. And you'll miss all these wonderful opportunities and things that God wants to do through you. If you struggle and you're in despair and you, you go through those moments, please, 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 please understand you are normal. The most spiritual of people went through them. Jesus stood in a garden, our Saviour and Lord, and prayed. And the Bible says he sweat drops of blood. You know, you can get physically stressed that much in your body. It's scientifically proven. You can get so stressed that blood will come out of your pores. How stressed do you think Jesus was in that moment? Yeah? The main thing is, when you go through those moments is to remember God is with you. God is with you. the end of that story, God grabs Elijah, feeds him, does a few things with him, picks him up under the tree and says, I'm going to meet you up there, head off. And he runs up and he ends up in a cave. We all know this story too. 
God says to him, get up and come out the front of the cave. He gets up and he stands out the front of the cave. And a great earthquake goes by. But the Bible says that God was... God was... God was not in the earthquake. God was not in the earthquake. God could come and just shake all those troubles of yours and have them all tumble down. God wasn't in the earthquake. Next thing, it says that a fire came past. But God was not in the fire. God could come and burn up all your troubles. He could do that. Then the Bible says a wind, a massive wind came. So powerful it cracked the rocks. But God was not in the wind. And then something interesting happens. The Bible says, then it was a quiet, whispering voice. What are you doing here, Elijah? You know what I think God was trying to communicate there? All the stuff you've been going through, Elijah, all the trials, all the temptations, the ups, the downs, three and a half years in isolation, you come back for one victory and then bang, you're running for your life again. Like what? Come on, that's enough, isn't that God? Man, three and a half years I thought I was out of this pit. Back in it. You know what? Elijah wasn't actually running for his life. If he was, why would he ask God to take it? He was actually trying to run from his life. He's trying to run from his life. The end result is that when you read the story, God speaks some words. And next week I want to talk about some practical things that went on here. God sends him back into his world. But I love the thought that God comes to him in a still small voice. You know what that means? It means that he must have been really, really close to him. Because you can only hear someone whispering when they're really, really close to you. I find that overwhelming. You want to know how close God is to you? He whispers to you. The devil shouts, screams, trying to assert their authority. God is comfortable. He's loving. He's gracious. And he's so close in those moments to us that he whispers in our ear. Just want you to know I'm here. Just want you to know. The times when we feel that God is the furthest away from us, I believe are the times where He's actually the closest. If you're sitting here now and you feel God's a million miles away and you can't do it anymore and it's a struggle and you're sick and you're tired, and let me tell you something. That's the moment I believe where God's wanting to whisper into your ear and just let you know, hey, I get it. I don't judge you for it. I'm not angry at you. I'm not looking down upon you. I'm not thinking you're a terrible person. I made you. I gave you emotions. 
I gave you a capacity. I know your breaking point. But I'm with you. And I love you. Father, I just pray uh, this morning, Lord, that just remind us, just remind us, God. All week, we go out there and we're being reminded of so many other things. And one of the beautiful things about gathering together at church is to be reminded of the basic stuff of Christianity, that you died for us that you rose from the dead, that you love us, that you're with us, that you accept us, Father. God, I just pray right now, Father, I just believe the Spirit of God is is speaking to certain people this morning. And I I believe specifically that that God laid this on my heart for you. I was praying and I felt like God said, there are some people here that need to hear this. I just pray for those people right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, don't let them leave this place and just get on with the week and lose focus. God, I pray that they would sit and think about this reality, God, that you are right there, you are with them. I pray they would think about the reality that they're not abnormal, they're not weird, they're not strange, they're not... God, they are just beautiful people made in your image going through the normal gamut of emotional stuff that we face, but they do not face it alone, they face it with you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you guys. We've gone a little bit over time today because of some of the fun and frivolity of, of what we wanted to, to do, but that's okay. People overstay their welcome at my house all the time, so I've, overst- I've overstayed my welcome at yours today. So bless you guys. Have a great week. Have a fantastic week. If anyone would like any prayer, uh, anything today, maybe as touch on a big believer in prayer, and I believe even the simple act of coming forward and admitting, going, yes, God, this is me. Is a powerful faith statement to the Lord. So we'd love to pray with you if that's you, uh, you here as well today. Bless you guys.